Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants by accountants and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. Hey everyone, this is Laura Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit earmarkcpe.com. out of five stars. Accountants rank in the bottom 6% of careers for happiness. Why is this and what can we do about it? In today's episode, I'm speaking with Donnie Shimamoto to get his perspective on how employers, employees, and the industry at large can work to change this. So (laughs) I got sent over Donnie's bio, and let me just tell you, it reads like a lifetime achievement (laughs) award. It is incredibly impressive, but Donnie is the founder and managing director of Enterprise Technologies, LLC, an advisory-focused CPA firm focused on innovation, acceleration, and organizational development for small businesses, middle market organizations, and not profits. In addition to being an industry thought leader, he's been awarded, and it sounds like most deservedly, a, a ton of different accolades. And so we're really excited to have him here. He's been in the industry for a couple decades now and get his perspective on the careers for accountants and why we are so unhappy. So thank you so much, Donnie, for being here with us. You're welcome. And thank, thank you for having me and all, all the nice words you said about me. <laughs> <laughs> Just, this is actually just going to be a huge hype episode for you. So, <laughs> we're just going to be spending all talking about how awesome Donnie is. So Donnie, tell us kind of in your own words, how you, where you started and how you got to where you are. Sure. So I, well, if we, if we go really where I started. So I first got exposed Yeah, all to, the way back to the beginning. <laughs> I first got exposed to accounting in high school. I think it was my sophomore year. Took the first accounting course. Found it super easy. Um, was just natural. So you might say I'm kind of a natural <laughs> accountant. Um, we even, funny enough, we actually had a new teacher. So she had just finished earning her degree to teach. It was her first job. And we were going through the accounting and then she would look at me and go, is that answer correct? <laughs> that, was, that was like, yeah, it was, it was funny. So uh, it's kind of, but started back then, also started in technology at uh, the year afterwards. Um, actually, well, technology actually started way earlier. Because uh, I've been programming since about seven or eight, but uh, that went over into college, where I actually did a dual bachelor's degree in accounting and management information systems um, under the guidance of a controller that I was working for just before my senior year in high school. He was like, "You got to go down this path because technology is the key." This is in the early '90s. He's like, "Technology is going to be the key. You're going to want to do these two together because that's really where the power is." So I did that um, in college. Ended up. Uh, interning at Price what are actually Coopers and Library, which gives you a feel for my age. Um, eventually into Price Waterhouse Coopers, but I did both financial and IT audit, 
And then I went into the consulting side and that's where I've been for the last 20 years is really working on the consulting side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you guys are watching the video of this, but this man does not look a day over like 39. (laughs) So (laughs) when you said early nineties, I'm like in my head, I was like, so when I was in early elementary school, (laughs) so, but that's really cool though, to hear that you have, you've seen kind of both sides of the industry, both the big four side and then you know, your own consulting side and whatnot. Because I think that perspective is really important to this conversation because of there is such a dif- uh, difference of culture, but then there's a lot of overlap as well. So the fact that you can kind of speak to both sides of it, I think is really important. I think that viewpoint to bring in is very important as well. I definitely agree with you there. I think um, yeah. even though I was with a big four, I because I was with a small office and eventually... Um, PwC actually closed its Hawaii office. So that's uh-huh. how small we were when they became PwC. They were like, you guys are not even big enough. And we were <laughs> we were like an 80-person office. So it's not like we were really small. <laughs> They're like, you're not big enough. We don't want you. So they, so they split the office off. But I think that's kind of the change we've seen in the, in the, um, the industry as a whole now. Because even in talking with even the mid-sized firms or even some of the you know, mid-sized firms now, I'm asking them about, you know, who are you hiring from? Are you hiring from these these large big four people? And they say, actually, I've been hearing a lot of them say, actually, no, we don't really like them because they don't, they're not getting enough exposure and they're stuck kind of mm. doing this one thing. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they're so narrow and there's they only know this one way to do things compared to people that come from what's more like what I came from, which is like a midsize or a larger, the lower end of the larger firms, like where we get exposed mm-hmm. to a lot more, we touch a lot of different things. So I, I mm-hmm. think that's actually really important to raise is that because tied back to what we're talking about, a lot of the complaints and things that we hear, I think, are from people working in very large firms. And of course, yeah. it's it's like pain, right? The per- people in pain are the ones that are going to complain and be the most vocal. And we don't see enough of those of us that love what we do that are really engaged in the profession, in working with our clients and and really just love the profession. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's hard because, you know, I'm, I kind of come from a little different background in that I didn't take my first accounting course till five years after I'd graduated from undergrad when I decided I was going to go back to school and become a CPA. But I know anyone who is in undergrad accounting, who are they being exposed to? They're being exposed to the big four because that's who has money to go on all these college campuses and, you know, wine and dine these very naive 21 and 22 year olds, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I kind of view that though as a little bit of a blessing because I know, I know who I am. Like I am a people pleaser, you know, I want to climb the ranks. I want to work for the best. And I know if I would have majored in accounting, like that would have been my path. I would have been straight into the big four, you know, but since I did it later, like by the time I'd you know, I was already married when I went back to school. A month of going back to school, I was found out I was pregnant with my first child. So by the time I finished all my accounting courses, working for the big four wasn't an option. You know, I'm like, I have a, a one-year-old. I can't go work 80 hours a week. So I was kind of forced into working for a more small local firm, which I can talk about that a little later. That ended up being super toxic, but I'm kind of happy that I skipped that whole big <laughs> big four route because it's it's a little bit of a churn and burn environment. You know, I think the average lifetime or not the average lifetime, but the average like work cycle of someone there out within two years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? So, all right. So in, in your experience, because you, you have, you know, you've seen it all. Why do you think right now accountants are unhappy? 
I really think it, it is just being overwhelmed with everything. And I always, I always start to come back. Well, actually, let's talk about the everything. So to me, the everything, all the changes in tax law, right? Going through the pandemic with all the PPP craziness, which affected tax mm-hmm. people, affected client accounting, even affected audit, looking at everything, right? Everyone was really affected just a lot. And it's just been compounding and compounding. That's what I hear year after year. We talk about the people crisis right now, but there's been a people crisis since I think I hear other people say, well, we've been in the people crisis since the 90s. And uh, so that, I think that's just always true. The, the big thing for me, especially me having the dual technology training is, is coming back and looking at it and say, well, there's been technology that's been around for so long and the pandemic actually forced people to adopt it. Like you look at things like instant yeah. messaging, it's, which is essentially the chat on the computer. Like when I started my <laughs> firm in 2001, we used AOL Instant Messenger at that time. Yes, AIM. <laughs> yeah, but we used it in our firm. So we had adopted it 20 years oh, ago. wow. Right? And That's incredible. Think about when Skype came out, because we also used to use Skype. Uh-huh. Not Skype for business, but Skype. We used to use that to hold our meetings because we were this small firm and we couldn't afford video conferencing, but we wanted to be able to have you know these real-time meetings with staff that we were working with and Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's really like these technologies have been around forever and only now is the the profession kind of catching up and starting to utilize that. And it's true not just in the this meeting and this hybrid work context, but it's also within workflow, within data analytics, like all of this stuff, you know, a lot of what people are putting forward now, like what is now this data analytics movement was is what the business intelligence movement was that actually started in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So th- these are yeah. not like new earth-shattering, breaking technologies. These are things that have been around. It's just that it's coming around again and it's time for people to adopt it because that's what can actually help make accounting better. It'll get rid of all that grunt work and let us focus on why I think a lot of us became accountants, which is to Mm -hmm. work on more the analysis, the strategy, the problem solving, and, and to really help people and businesses be more successful. Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you're a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. Yeah. Now, do you think part of the reason, and this, I have my own theory about this, but I want to hear yours. Why has our industry been so slow to adopt those technologies that have been around for 20 years? Well, I think a lot of people like to say that part of it is because accountants are so conservative. And, mm-hmm. you know, I look at it and I go, okay, yeah, in general. And I, in a lot of ways, of course, that's a good thing because we don't want accountants that are all at the bleeding edge and bringing all this risk in because that's also the side. Like if you look at audit, the other thing that audit does is it looks at risk, whether risk is reasonable yeah. or not, right? And can I mitigate that risk? So just by nature, we are more conservative as a profession. But the other thing that I think is really changing or, or perhaps one of the barriers, as you asked, is historically the way the work has been done has been led by the partners who tend to be older, 
who tend to be more change averse. And it's also tied into their income, which if I'm mm-hmm. going to spend money on this technology instead, it's coming out of my pocket. That's the, the downside of working for a smaller or even a mid-sized firm where if the firm owner mm-hmm. is really just looking at it as their money, and what, what are they spending their money on? That could be a downside. And so there's, a, there's mm-hmm. I think, a lot of different reasons why we may not have seen that occur. But again, kind of we're, we're at this point now where there's this big shift and the fact that we need and we're starting to embrace other disciplines within accounting to utilize mm-hmm. an IT person, to utilize, you know, a, a scientist for ESG reporting. Like all of these other disciplines are starting to be brought into the firms, into the way that we do accounting. And that is, mm-hmm. I think, going to open up a lot more doors. Yeah. Yeah. And the one point you touched on that I'm like, I would die on this hill is I think that it's it's the income. You know, it's like it's affecting their income and they're not seeing it as an investment. <laughs> Dumb accounting coach, they're seeing it as an expense, you know. But I mean, here's the thing. Their model has worked. It's worked for years and, you know, they've made good money. So why would they change? Mm-hmm. You know, if it's only going to affect their bottom line, 5%, 6%, like they're like, uh, it's too much, you know? And so I think that's has been part of the issue. In my opinion, is it's just like, well, why, why would I change this? I'm making good money, you yeah. know, and I can still yeah. get people to do this work. But then now the problem is you, you can't get people to do the work. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so it's like, it's, I feel like they've been kicking this can down the road and then like, you know, obviously COVID's been horrible, but I think that's like just the one good thing that's come out about, uh, come out from it is it's really forced these firms. And then I would call, you know, dinosaur firms or a lot of times toxic firms to adapt way more quickly than they would have like, or if they probably would have never adapted, they probably would have done it until these partners retired and then, you know, sold their firm for pennies on the dollars. Cause he wants to come in and buy a firm where you have to completely redo all the systems and processes and retrain everyone. So exactly. yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally in alignment with you exactly. on that. Do you think, do you think like kind of building on that? Like, do you think there's a culture in the industry as a whole, you know, outside of people saying, Oh, we're more conservative. Like, you know, do you think it is more just like people it's money? Like, do you think there's anything else going in, going at play or happening here that's causing this? Yeah. Cause I, I won't put everything on, the, the people per se, the, mm-hmm. you know, when I look at the vendors, I even like, like a lot of what I do today is I help firms or regular businesses figure out their tech stacks and what's going to work together and what doesn't work together. And the challenge even I see, even, even for my own firm is there isn't something that all works together really nicely. There isn't, a, mm-hmm. there isn't a cohesive solution. Everyone kind of does this little thing and with the start of the, the move to the cloud, we kept hearing best of breed, best of breed, best of breed, right? So do all uh-huh. these things, but now I've got 50 million passwords that I have to manage and I have to figure <laughs> out which system do I go in to do this or that and depends on which client I'm working with, right? Then I like it's just created all of this additional complexity that now we're starting to see more consolidation as some of the larger players start to buy up smaller players, right? And integrate the functionality in. So I think it's partly to blame, if we're going to call it that, is also the software vendors, that they're really not looking at mm-hmm. the whole picture. They're really just trying to meet this need or kind of keep up with each other on the table stakes, but no one's really bringing a great holistic solution to bear. 
Oh, I know. And I'm like, I'm so guilty too of building a tech stack and then seeing something new shiny in the corner of my eye and being like, oh, I maybe I need to replace that app with this new app. And you know, <laughs> which let me tell you, staff do not like it if you are consistently <laughs> changing over apps. Oh, I'm very familiar <laughs> that with is- that. Like part of our firm <laughs> is we I call it eating our own dog food. So every time I see mm-hmm. a new app, I'm like, and especially since we help others understand the technology. I'm like, we got to try it. And so staff's like, yes. well, you found another one? And I'm like, yeah, we're just going to try it with this team and we're going to see. So then that team and now has to learn this new app. But to me, that's also part of testing it. It's like, how easy is it for them yeah. to learn? Can we actually take what we're doing, which we already know is good and works in this other app? And can we, is it mm-hmm. a way, is it easy for us to take that model or that framework and apply it in this app? Does it actually do the same things or what are the nuances? So that's yeah. where for us, it's it's been very interesting to see the apps kind of side by side to say, well, this app will do this. This app does the same thing, but it's a little different. You got to think of it this way. Yeah. It, it becomes kind of this, which then also makes it harder because then when people look yeah. at it, they go, well, which one do I use? They all kind of look the same. And you really need to understand the nuances of the way one app yeah. does something versus the other. And then what are the implications to the way that your team would work or or how you comply with standards, which is another thing that complicates, I think, some of the technology adoption. Uh, yeah, honestly, like, oh, 100%. And what you're speaking on is like change, it's kind of like change management, but that like app review management, all that, that could be a whole like episode series in <laughs> itself. Because like, I'm sure there's tons of firm owners out there who would love to know, like, someone give me a process for doing it, because there are, it's it's hard, and especially like, the larger your team is, the harder it's going to become, and the hard, more pushback you'll get. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. write that down, someone, do a, do a podcast series on that. Um, do you think too, because I mean, you're, you're a different generation than I, and so it, it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this. I'm wondering too, if generationally, why we like my I'm a millennial we're unhappy because what makes us happy is not the same as what made boomers happy can you speak at all to that like how you think this kind of change in how millennials and the generation below us where are they gen z are thinking about work and work life and balance in general and how that's kind of driving this as well I actually don't think it's so much that there's a different value. I actually think it's a matter of patience. And mm-hmm. so the boomers and even I'm part of Gen, Gen X, you know, mm-hmm. we're a lot more, I think, willing to wait to go through that process mm-hmm. of, okay, I understand I have to pay my dues and earn my way to a certain point. And I, I think we just don't see that in the millennials. Um, you know, it's, it's part of that learned immediate gratification type of thing for better or worse. I always laugh too, because I hear the boomers all complain about the millennials and I'm like, these are all your kids. So you guys are the ones that cause all the problems. Um, so stop complaining. You're part of the problem. You let, you raised your kids to want what they want and to have that, you know, to be able to have this better lifestyle and, and everything. And so we need to embrace that, that that's per se part of that new normal or, you know, what's happening. But, you know, in the end, I think we all kind of want similar things. It's to spend more mm-hmm. times with those that we care about. And I don't think any of us would turn that down if that opportunity occurred. I think all of us want, especially in accounting, to help others be more successful. So whether it's our clients, whether it's our team members, whether it's those that we're hiring, 
right? And mm-hmm. the, the difference, I think, again, is kind of just this concept of patience of, well, do I want to keep doing things the same way and wait until I retire? And some of it is, am I as a millennial or even as an ex willing to wait until the partner's going to retire and then I can change things to be what I want it to be? Uh, I don't know that yeah. we still see that anymore. And I don't know we see the need for that anymore. Uh, one of the biggest things I see is more and more younger accountants actually starting their own firms and saying, because now mm-hmm. you can spin up Office 365 or Google Enterprise and you've got essentially a corporate infrastructure already built out for you that you before there was a monetary barrier to that. Yeah, the barrier to entries is, you know, non-existent compared to, you know, if you were starting a firm 30 years ago. I think, like, I'll be the first to admit as a millennial, like, we definitely, or at least I do, we bite the hand that feeds us in the sense that it's like, well, yes, we're this way, but you created us this way. And I, (laughs) like, you know, and I think part of that is, too, like, think of millennials, what we went through. Like, we watched 9-11 happen. We experienced, like, as we were coming out of college, the huge market crash happened. And so it's just like our entire growing up has been like one trauma kind of after another, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we've seen as well, like, you know, we've seen these and not to make it like capitalism versus socialism thing, but like we're watching these individuals and corporations, you know, their profits skyrocket and then all these workers wages being, you know, kept low. So it's like the people at the top are being fed and the people at the bottom aren't. And instead of, and I and the wage disparity obviously is a lot different now than it was 40, 50 years ago. So millennials are looking at that and being like, wait, wait a second, that's messed up. And so I think we're a lot more likely than the boomer generation to kind of push back against that inequality and being like, well, what makes you so special to make those wages? Like, I could do what you're doing. I see what you do. I could do that. And then hence, well, I'm just going to go start my own firm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go or I'm going to work for this other firm that more aligns with that. Right. Right. So, well, well, and that's where too. I I think, I think there's a big. I I think a lot of millennials are missing a really big point, and they don't see it because mm-hmm. they haven't hit it yet. Where the experience, you know, so someone someone like me at the tail end of Gen X, where I've kind of seen both sides, it really really worries me. And I mean, you've seen my resume. Right. You've you've said it's pretty impressive, but I still worry that I don't know everything that that generation before us knows because I still sit Mm -hmm. down with some of them and I'm like, oh, I never thought about that or I didn't think about it from that perspective. Uh, You know, I was working with a client this week and they talked about, you know, one of the EVPs uh, in their company. He's not stopping them from doing stuff, but he's also not pushing them forward. So they were complaining about him. And I, I said, well, as long as he's not stopping you, that's not that bad. And I said, well, does he contribute? They said, well, what he does is he contributes this different perspective. He said, well, this is why it was like that. Or this, have you thought about this and that? Because this is why something was done a particular way. And they were said, they said, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, no, we never thought about it that way. That's interesting. Right. And so I, I think it's really yeah. about all of the generations learning to value each other more rather than fight against each other or disparage each other to really just sit and listen. And there's these mm-hmm. grains of, of insight that we can gain from each other. And then it's a balancing of all of these different things that will help make all of us happier in what we're doing. I totally agree with that. One of my business partners and another business I have, he's 30 years older than me, you know, and I, lo- and I love it because it is, it's, he brings in a totally different perspective, a totally different 
background, wealth of experience that's just, you know, so, so invaluable. And, you know, it's very, we're very complimentary in our skill set. Yeah. So, and it's, you know, I wouldn't trade him for the world because I just, I love what he brings to the table because it's just so different from what I could get from anyone, you know, who's a millennial like me. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, love, not war, everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for Accountants? The Avalara for Accountants automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. All right. So how would you personally rank your happiness now versus the beginning of your career and what, what changed, what contributed to that change? Because I'm assuming you're going to say you're happier now than when you first started, but maybe you're not. So. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would say I'm happier. I would say in a lot of ways, I'm, I was going to say more content, but I don't know if that's mm -hmm. actually the right word either. So in the beginning of my career, I was very driven. I had very clear goals. It was to be a big four partner at the very beginning. Mm. Right. And then, mm -hmm. and then it was to own my own firm, which then I started, that was 20 years ago. So, you know, having accomplished all that kind of things, I bought my first house back then as well. Mm -hmm. So like all of that's kind of gone. And now if you ask me, am I happy in doing what I do? I love what I do. I love working with my clients. I love the way that we do things. I love pushing the profession forward. And being a part of mm -hmm. that, I mean, that was one of the big realizations for me around 2009 uh, when I went to the AICPA's Leadership Academy. It opened up my eyes to the broader profession and the fact that we're mm -hmm. not just someone working in an accounting firm. We're part of this global profession that really is enacting and making commerce happen across the world. And that's even more true today as we look at globalization and the, you know, the impact of like what's going on in Russia or what happens in China and how that impacts even us in the U.S., right? So yeah. I, that I, I really feel even more impassioned. Uh, so the reason I hesitate is because then I say, well, we have so much to do. We have this dissatisfaction to deal with. We have technology adoption to drive. We have changes in the way that people are making decisions, like the whole moving forward of this ESG reporting and all the concepts that are associated therein, uh, you know, we have all of this work to do. So when I look at it now, I feel like, man, there's so much more that we're having to deal with. There's so much more mm -hmm. that we need to do compared to back then. I would have been like, well, I just need to finish doing this and then I'll be able to get the promotion I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a very much uh, industry-wide view, like your happiness or your I guess what you're driving toward is you're really focused on how can I make the industry better as a whole versus how can I make changes within my firm to make me happier? Am I hearing that right? Well, uh, actually, I would go beyond that. So, you know, I always actually, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, it, it actually says improving the world one accountant at a time. So it's, it's not just oh, about improving our industry. It's really about improving the world. Mm -hmm. And that was what I tapped into when I looked at 
you know, what, what really gave me satisfaction, what gives me satisfaction in my job is helping that client and, you know, get really giving them, um, I, I, I always tell my staff, it's these, one of these three things. So first is either we're giving them peace of mind. So whether mm-hmm. it's, we've implemented the right cybersecurity controls, we've got everything secured, we know we're not going to have a data breach, we're not going to get hacked. So peace of mind. Um, in, in the tax side, you know, we don't do tax, but in the tax side, for example, it would be they've received an IRS letter and you're like, don't worry, you're not going to lose your house, right? You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this audit. That That's that yeah. peace of mind. Uh, with the pandemic and PPP, it was, you're, don't worry, you're going to be able to stay in business. We'll figure out how to get payroll. We'll get you this PPP money, right? That's part of what we do as accountants is work with these small business owners or individuals to say, hey, we can help you achieve your goals. The second thing I feel like we provide is vision and clarity. So it's really around where where do you see yourself three to five years from now? What what are those goals? So at an individual level, it's you know I have kids, they're in school, um, I own a house. In the business level, it's my business has done this. We've right broken into this market, mm-hmm. we've grown in this way, whatever, the, or we've transitioned from this generation to that generation, whatever that vision is, we then help build out that, that plan and that roadmap that says, well, you have to save this and do put this in your 401k, or from a business standpoint, here are the changes that you need to enact to make that happen, right? So being mm-hmm. able to provide that vision and clarity, which in the end, to me, both of those feed back into hope. And a lot of times when I say that, people go, accountants provide hope (laughs) like that doesn't sound like that matches but when you Mm -hmm. talk to the clients where you've really had an impact that's what it was you know i i think about one of the most meaningful two of the most meaningful experiences i had one was when i was an it auditor this is me at 20 something years old 22 or 23 years old i was going in (laughs) to audit the it department at this big state department um department at one of the state of hawaii and the it director probably 40 something year old maybe even 50 year old guy like breaks down crying to me because i'm asking him about are you getting support from management and you know all this stuff and he's 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 like no i'm not i keep asking for funds i'm trying to get funds for this and blah 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 and he just broke down and i'm something you're told to be like Okay, I've got this grown man crying. What do I say? What do I do? Right. And I just had to sit there and say, I'm like, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, the good news for you is that I can write some of this up because I agree with you that some of this is needed. It's actually an internal controls weakness. You know, I can start to do that. And you see him kind of pull himself together. And he had hope that now he was going to be able to get what he needed to really properly secure down the department and things. Yeah. So that, that, you know, that was kind of one, the, uh, another one was really a consulting client where she came to CEO of a nonprofit came to me and she was like, I don't know if we're going to have enough money to get through. And she's like, someone said you could help me. And I said, well, I'm not a financial planner type person. And she goes, she explained to me what she needed. She really needed a budgeting and planning system. So I said, oh, okay, no, 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 mm-hmm. this, this is what we need to do for you to get you visibility into your costs. We are going to apply like management accounting principles to figure out how, how, how much it costs for you to deliver services to each foster child. That's what they did. Yep. She's literally crying, telling me and explaining to me what's happening. 
And so yeah. then once I explained the solution to her, she kind of brightened up, you know, she dried her tears and they were kind of wrapping up and she goes, she stands up and she goes, can I just give you a hug? And I was like, oh. gonna have to, of course. And again, it was that hope, right? I gave her that vision and that clarity around this is what you need and this is how you're going to be able to continue operating. And that's mm-hmm. that hope of, okay, and she left and she was happy. And she's actually still a client till today. That was, I think, over 10 years ago. Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm hearing a theme here in everything you're saying. So I would ask you then, I think I know what you're going to say. If we were to take three things, salary, meaning, and work envi- environment in, in how it relates to workplace happiness, which do you think is the most important and why? I actually think it's all three. You know, mm-hmm. and I, this is where I think people like to latch onto one or another. And it's only when we actually have balance in our life that then we are happy. Because if you don't mm-hmm. have enough money, you're struggling for food, you know, struggling for shelter, right? That's going to affect everything else. If yeah. you are not having meaningful work, and this is, I think, what we hear a lot of the complaint in our profession about, the work is not meaningful, right? Then, mm-hmm. then you're also mm-hmm. not going to be happy. And yeah. Mario, what was your third one? <laughs> A uh, work environment, like work kind of the culture of where you are. So, yeah. so kind of same thing there, right? I could be, I could love mm-hmm. my work, but be at a firm or, or a company where I don't like my coworkers or it's a very toxic work environment. Unless you have something that's holding you there, that is the purpose maybe of where we're really mm-hmm. doing really good work. Nonprofit is a good example of this, where they're often say, well, I'm willing to take a lower salary. I'm okay kind of working under not the greatest conditions because our work is really meaningful and I'm impacting a a constituency that really needs me and what I do, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still, if I can get all three, then I really can feel like I'm doing great things and I'm happy, not just content, but I'm actually happy doing what I do. Yeah. So then kind of building on that, do you know uh, what kind of accountants are happiest? (laughs) I I actually think it's those that find these experiences like I've described. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's the ones that are really helping give our clients peace of mind, that we're helping our clients have vision clarity about the future. And in the end, we're giving them that spark of hope. That's going to be the most meaningful work. It's also the highest value work. It's advisory Mm -hmm. work. So you get paid the higher dollars. We all know it, right? Advisory and consulting gets paid more than compliance. And the personality and the culture that's needed to do this type of work is more innovative. It's more thoughtful. It's broader thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're going to get all three of those elements if you're really starting to work with others that embrace these types of elements or or these three outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. And the the word that you said that I'm going to stick with is meaning or meaningful. And what this study showed was it's accountants who work with nonprofits or in the education sector, because they feel like they're actually improving people's lives by doing that. And so this is like, this is such a dumb example, but it's, it's, it just rings so true to me. So my dad was a, was, he is, he's a doctor. Okay. And what he did for the first, you know, 20 years of my life was he was a general surgeon and he worked in the ER. So he would do a lot of life saving procedures. Okay. And I akin this a little to compliance work. All right. You're in there because you have to be, not because you want to be, okay? 
And what was interesting was after he'd done that for 20 years, he switched his practice and started doing uh, cosmetic surgeries, very specifically varicose vein surgery. So if people don't know what that is, it's when you have painful, unsightly veins in your legs, you can do different procedures and you can get rid of them. He said his patients were so much more thankful and happy and excited after their cosmetic ex- procedure, you know, they would just lavish thankfulness on them because they could wear shorts and feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Whereas the people he would save their lives, they were like, oh, th- you know, thanks, cool. <laughs> you know, and so that's how I kind of view compliance work versus all this kind of other value added work, both from your your perspective as a practitioner and what the client's receiving and the value they're receiving. And what they value is that other work. It's not this thing I did because I had to do it because I didn't want to go to jail. It's this, oh my gosh, you gave me this information that I didn't have before and it's changing my life. Well, I think it's I think it's both. And this is one of the things that I don't like about the way some people talk about advisory work because they're like, everyone needs to switch to advisory work. And in my head, I'm like, <laughs> if everyone switches to advisory work, then we don't have compliance being done. Yep. If you think about advisory work, if you're doing financials or forecasting, if you're forecasting off of bad data, which is where the compliance work is making sure that you have good data, then your advisory is going to be off as well. So I think people need to realize that compliance work has a place. It's going to be automated a lot more. It may not feel as as sexy, you know, but it does need to be done and it needs to be done well for us in advisory Mm -hmm. to do our part. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And for people who don't know, like we're recording right now, it's on 413. So you can imagine there is a lot of salty accountants on Twitter right now. And a lot of them are like, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. And it's because a lot of them, it's because they just do that compliance piece. But I am 100% on board with you. Like you have to have the compliance to do the advisory. And so, and I think this is a good thing in the sense that accountants, especially ones who just run compliance firms are like, this isn't it. This is not making me happy. But then being able to be like, wait, but I can add on now these advisory services, change my practice and become happier. Like I have seen mm-hmm. more than one accountant tweet, you know, in the past week that like, all right, it's my monthly clients only I'm keeping as compliance, you know, or if someone does want me to do their compliance, they have to work with me year round. So I love that people are starting to get fed up with it because ultimately the reality is if you own your own firm and you're unhappy like that's that's completely within your power to change yeah. you know and and uh, but i think it takes courage to do it cuz it can be scary it can be really scary especially where numbers people saying no to money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really hard thing to do is to say no to the $2000 right in front of you that's a one time engagement and being able to say no i don't want that i'm going to instead you know be more patient, wait a little longer and get the clients I actually want to get and not tie up all my time into that. So it like it's like I don't want to gaslight anyone and being like just do it. It's not scary. It's very scary to do. You know, but it's you know, it's that saying if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. So how do you Okay, so here's a question I have. How would you, how many employees do you have? I have 12, essentially 12 um with me. Okay. And this is um, another podcast I did with Dan a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure what order they'll be airing in, but he talked about how he now regularly has the employees fill out surveys. Do you do something similar to that to kind of, and if you do, what do they say? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? So 
really what he's probably getting towards on that is getting a feel of the pulse. So getting the pulse mm-hmm. of the organization. We actually, I actually do that in a couple of different ways. So one of the teams, this is where we experiment with different tools. So one of the teams is using a product that does a pulse check. Every Friday it asks them to give a score from one to five. How are you feeling this week? And then there's a whole bunch of other questions that they actually have to go through. Um, for, and one of which is, how have you provided peace of mind, vision, and clarity, or hope to a client this week? Because I want them to keep that oh, wow. top of mind. Yeah. But, you know, it'll ask them, what are some of the things we can change? You know, what did you accomplish this week? Um, it helps them through some goal setting. And so we've got something mm-hmm. like that that we use. The other thing that I do is all of my direct reports, we have one-on-one meetings every week. And part of that is, A, how are you doing? And it's not a status report to me. I always tell them these meetings are for you. And so initially some of them will ask me like, is it okay if I cancel? And I said, if you don't need my help, then you can cancel. But then don't come to me next week and be like, I ran into all these problems. And I'm like, you canceled our meeting. <laughs> so that was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but these one-on-ones really help me to understand where they're getting stuck, where they're having challenges, what roadblocks do I need to remove for them or do I need to help them mm-hmm. overcome a roadblock by additional training or some mentoring and so through that I get a really good pulse so I think of what's what's happening yeah that just made me think because like there's a lot of us out here who are solopreneurs do you ever ask those same questions to yourself yes because actually so the, the the tool that we use I fill it I'm I only I'm the only one that reads it, but I actually fill it out for mm-hmm. myself because I want to see where I am. And yeah. I think you, you know, you just alluded toward it, which is even when you're on your own, do you take that step back and look at it and say, mm-hmm. where is my company? Where is my firm? And what am I doing? And that's something yeah. that we should be doing on a regular basis. Yeah. And I think it's, and I, I've worked with small business owners and it's like stuff like that immediately gets pushed to the back burner. It's really hard to prioritize it because you don't necessarily see an ROI immediately on that. Again, I think it's the patience thing, <laughs> you know, like what can I do that will make me money today? You know, not what will make me money and happiness three, six, nine, you know, months from now. Yeah. So have you ever read, I love this book so much, The 4-Hour Workweek? I have not. I read a synopsis of it, but uh, it's yeah, it's it's a really easy read if you ever do pick it up. Like I read the whole thing front to back on a cross country trip, like you know, within oh. four hours flying coast to coast. But I just I think everyone should read it, especially solopreneurs, because it really makes you step back and it provides a framework for asking and answering those questions. Mm. And so it's kind of like a way of reverse engineering happiness. And I read it back in December when I was coming home from one of my clients hosts, like a CEO coaching. Uh, event and it was their year end event. And it was the theme of the event is like plan for your next year. So it was a very timely like read like, okay, what do I want to accomplish in the next year? What's going to make me happy? And then, you know, stepping back and then asking those questions like, how much do you want to work? What kind of work do you want to do? How much money do you want to make? And then like, as you start answering those questions, and then a really interesting question they asked is like, if you needed money to do everything you wanted to do, like, what would that cost per month? And actually breaking down the numbers and looking at it in kind of these silos, you know, and then being able to see the bigger picture around it. Mm -hmm. And it was just so interesting of an exercise because it really made me come to terms with like, okay, if I want to get to point B and I'm here at A, 
like for me personally, a lot of it was these are the things I need to start handing off and outsourcing, even if that means right now that's a revenue drop or even if that's a big investment of money up front that I'm not going to see returned for six, nine months, you know? And so I, I think, but it's like that this is something I need to not do yearly. It's something I need to keep asking myself monthly, you know, minimum, like, where am I at? Where did I want to be at? Like, what changes do I need to make? And so it's especially harder because it's like, no one's going to hold you accountable, but yourself. Well, (laughs) you know, know, what, when you, as you describe that, it makes me think of the beginning of the career, right? So when you go into college, you've got this endpoint, which is the degree. And what are the classes that you have to take to qualify for that degree? And maybe you layer onto that to sit for the CPA exam or whatever professional exam you happen to decide you want to do. So what do I need to do to do that? So you've got all these requirements that drive you until you get to that point. And then after that, there's nothing that says that. Well, maybe it's the what do I need to do to get promoted, right? And yeah. they tell you the qualification. Okay, I know I've got what well, that is. But once you get past that point, and especially if you're a solopreneur or your own partner, then what is it after that? And that's where I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's important, like you said, to have that vision for what it is that you want to be two, three, five years, wherever it is, or where you want to be, and then create that clarity on your path towards that. So that then mm-hmm. you could do your check-ins, whether it's monthly, I actually do mine quarterly to say, okay, did I get everything done that I needed to do? If not, do I need to readjust? Uh, and then mm-hmm. am, am I on track or has this thing shifted? Do I need to change my direction because I that's not what I want anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like these are conversations because I do a fair amount of forecasting work. And it's like these are, you know, as we're especially building out the model initially, it's a lot of we're not talking about numbers. We're talking about like, what do you want to what do you want your life to look like? What's your end game? Like, because obviously someone who wants to just you know, create kind of passive revenue, work 20 hours a week, yada, yada, yada. That financial forecast is going to look very different than someone who's like, I want to scale up and sell in five years, yeah. you know? And, and so it's, it's like, if I'm having these conversations with people who are paying me, I'm like, why am I not having these with myself? Because these are very important questions. Yeah. You know, they're the most important questions, I think, because they, everything derives from those answers. So well, and coming yeah, coming this, back to what you said about the happiness, I think that is, you know, or what our whole topic, the whole satisfaction, you know, really is to figure out, I might be satisfied in the now, but what does it take? And maybe, maybe that can help create some of that patience because, you know, if you work through this, whatever it is, even though it sucks mm-hmm. now, it's going to help get you to where you want to be because, you said it earlier, like if you hadn't had the exposure that you had in the firm to the different things, I always just say the same thing. That was a lot of work in those years. But if yeah. I didn't have mm-hmm. that, I wouldn't be doing what I was doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely like, especially when you're just starting out, it's that those first three years, I think like those are such huge learning years. And it's like, it's not always fun. It's it's can be grunt work, but it's like, well, okay, it might not be the best work, but how can we make sure that these other factors, you know, it's meaningful work. If we can make it meaningful, you're getting paid well for it. It's a positive, supportive environment. You know, those are things that we can control, even if we can't control necessarily that it's the best work. Like I just think of it. So my first job that I took was at a very toxic firm. <laughs> I cannot overemphasize how horrible this was. Like I was being paid, mind you, $35,000 a year. Okay. <laughs> like, And then they pull us in to, you know, all to the conference room. It wasn't a big firm. It was maybe about 11 people. And they tell us, you know, 
you know, if you don't hit your realization hours or rates or whatever, we're going to drop your salary. And then if, and then every week they were posting in the break room, how many hours everyone was working, (laughs) you know? And so it was very toxic environment. And then after 10 months I left and I was doing the exact same work in a firm that had a, you know, very supportive environment, was getting paid better immediately, had amazing boss who eventually became a business partner, but who was just always willing to help, always willing to teach. And it was just, it was such a difference, you know? And so it's like the work was the same. It was the exact same work. I was doing tax returns, but it was just everything else was so much better. So I think that is something to keep in mind, both as a solopreneur and for employers, like the work is sometimes just might suck. But what what can we make? Can we make everything else not suck? <laughs> 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 so on this kind of note about employee happiness, I came across. So uh, one of my friends on Twitter, Brandon Hall, just retweeted this today. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to talk about this on the podcast. So this was put out by EY News. So Ernest Young, it's one of their and they're verified. So they must have a pretty decent following on here. But this is the uh, this is the tweet. They said, how can you turn resignation into retention? And this is what they said you don't do. Pay perks and promotions. (laughs) They said, don't do that. And then what they said you do is empathetic leadership. And I'm like, "Mm." and they said an EU study of over a thousand U.S. workers found a direct correlation between retention and workplace empathy. And it's just like, I I feel like there was the bullseye and they completely missed it, you know, because I think like kind of what we've been talking about is it's just not really one thing. It's, it's everything. So it's like, you can't just say, Hey, we have empathetic leaders, but we're going to pay you $36,000 a year. <laughs> like, well, do you have any thoughts on that tweet or so, so part of it is that I like to give people the benefit of the doubt and so mm-hmm. what they're probably emphasizing is the fact that it's not just about pay which I completely agree with like people that want to work for mm-hmm. our firm on average take about a 20% pay cut but mm-hmm. we give them like zero overtime everyone here works whatever hours they choose and whether it's the 30 hour week or the 40 now their salary is adjusted accordingly but most of them are coming from a situation where they're working a lot of overtime and so the salary is now a non-overtime salary and so they end up taking that pay cut yeah so i i think the per- the point that they're trying to do is that it's not just about pay and it's not about all of this silicon valley perks of the the pool table <laughs> the Pantagonia, or whatever, right? <laughs> That's not what's going to keep yeah. people. It's about the leadership and really caring, which I think it is, you know, that creates the culture aspect that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and as you said, even if the work is not the most meaningful work, having that, being mm-hmm. in that supportive environment, having a reasonable pay that yeah. might be enough to actually get you through because you love what you're, you love uh, who you're working with and, and you're able to sustain and do what you want to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I think this has been an amazing conversation. And I really hope our listeners have been able to, you know, take have some good takeaways. Because I think whether you are an employee, an employer or a solopreneur, I think there are keys, keys within this episode that apply to all of us. You know, like literally I'm thinking right now, like the first thing I'm going to do once I get off this is like go and <laughs> kind of assess, okay, where am I at? Where am I need to be? You know, even though I should be doing tax returns, <laughs> man, no one's going to die if the return doesn't get done is what I always Well, you can say. still extend. So, so not too bad. <laughs> 
Exactly. And so actually on that note, because like I said, we're like right in the thick of it, is what is one tax law you would change if you could change it today? Executive power, what would you do? Oh, I would, that one's, that one I would, would be the mobile workforce and getting something about enforced about the mobile workforce. Cause for me, I travel state to state, speak at different things. Mm-hmm. And so the tax return can be a real pain because certain states, yeah. once you step foot in them, all of a sudden you have this tax liability for them, right? So that, that's yeah. one. Unfortunately, it's a little self-serving on my part, but I think with everything going on with remote work, it's actually going to end up yeah. impacting a lot more of us than we originally had. And just, oh my gosh, yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. So, IRS, please. <laughs> uh, mine would actually be I. I think I responded to this on someone's tweet, but I was like, why don't we do this? Because a lot of preparers were talking about how much time they waste filing extensions. They're like, I could be preparing tax returns, and here I am spending this whole week, you know, before the deadline, just preparing ex- or making sure extensions get filed. So I was like, well, what if we just kept the payment date as 415 but we just made the filing date as 1015 with no extensions that's the one thing i would change (laughs) would it confuse taxpayers yes (laughs) you know but oh well they're confused anyway (laughs) so (laughs) i'm like i really don't care if the taxpayers are confused i care more about people within our industry and being able to get the work done (laughs) so that's my one little change i would do (laughs) so donnie if people want to connect with you how should they do that I would say the best is just to find me on LinkedIn, uh, and it's Donnie Shimamoto. Just under that the last name is exactly is spelled exactly as it sounds. Or I'm Donnie ITK, uh, India Tango Kilo. Donnie ITK on pretty much all the different social media as well. Nice, nice. And if anyone wants to find me, the best place is going to be on Twitter at Lauralyn Wilson. I'm on there tweeting, causing a ruckus. So it's, a, it's always a fun time on text Twitter. But Donnie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And your perspective was just, it was really fresh and enlightening and thoughtful. I really loved like everything you, you know, you said, and I can tell that, you know, it comes from a place of a lot of experience, you know, like it's just not, you're not just giving lip service. Like you really have lived it and learned it. And it's, it was just awesome to listen to everything you had to say. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was, it was, this was definitely <laughs> fun. <laughs> yes. And I am your, I'm your new hype girl. So if you're ever feeling down, you know, what, I will, <laughs> I will hype you up immediately. <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Donnie.